We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How would you like a free case of craft beer? Well, as a listener to our show, we'd like to thank you for listening. And with the help of our friends at Beer52.com, we can do just that. Just go to Beer52.com forward slash vision. That's Beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim a free case. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. There is a whole world of craft beer out there. You don't have to drink the same thing over and over again. You don't have to order beer not knowing what you like. Just get on board with discovering great craft beer with Beer52.com. Every month focuses on a new country or theme, and if you sign up now, you'll get the chance to try a case of the best of British craft beers as part of their Summer Bangers selection, all for free. Featuring the country's best craft brewers, such as Northern Monk, Ilkley, Red Willow, and Thornbridge, all very delicious, you'll be able to read all about the beers and learn more about how they are made in a 100-page ferment magazine included in the box. As a listener to our show, you can try your first case for free. Just pay £2.95 postage. That's it. Eight incredible craft beers delivered to you, Ferment Magazine, and a snack with free next-day shipping. It's a no-brainer. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers, see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause, cancel any time. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so it's easy to see that their members love the service. Do it now. Try some craft beer. Just visit beer52.com. That's www.beer52.com forward slash vision. And claim your free case today. Try it. Beer52.com. It is the way to learn more about great beers around the world. Offer valid in the UK only. What's a Do you want an hour-long podcast of pronouncing French names? Do you need an hour-long podcast of French names? Well, thanks to Matteo Genduzzi, that's exactly what you're getting. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommended, as always. Um, I want to start the podcast, first of all, just by re-emphasizing something before I introduce the other people who are on the podcast, chomping at the bit to get to uh, the PSG game, the derisory $30 million rumor of uh, Ramsey to Chelsea. <laughs> anyway, um... Just an appreciation. We're coming up on a new season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot of cool things planned for the pod, and uh, it's all because of you, dear listener. Mom, love you. Uh, we really do appreciate you, love you, and uh, are thankful for you being here so that we can talk into a microphone about the Arsenal a couple times every week. So thanks for that. Wanted to get that out of the way before introducing Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause into My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! 
and the man of the hour, Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. So let's do it. Let's dive into the meat of this podcast, what we will be spending, let's face it, the bulk of the podcast about Paul Matteo Ganduzzi. Apparently, I have a, I have a paid consultant in my home who okay. says Matteo Ganduzzi. Matteo Ganduzzi. Though, though we want the really want the Gwen doozy, so we can go with the Gwen without forcing it. Gen Gen doozy. Gen doozy. This is where your beer fifty two money go is going, listeners. Um, okay, so I think we got it, Matteo Gen doozy. Now that we've got that, I'll start with you, Clive. Matteo Gen doozy, good midfielder or the best midfielder in the history of Arsenal? <laughs> well, he's he's right up there, Patrick Vieira, is he at the moment? Um, so yeah, he's nice, isn't he? I, I, when we spoke about him previously, I saw. I, I got to stop like you. I got to stop you for a second. We did a br- well, a brilliant segment on the last podcast talking about how we want to sort of stamp out racism and xenophobia. And the first thing you do, we get a tall midfielder, and the first thing you do is compare him to to Patrick Vieira. I mean, oh, he wait. Well, he never is, mind. He is, the mid, okay. he is the he is the midfielder. Right? He right, is yes. the one that's never to be beaten in my eyes. Right, but but. Glenn Doozy, he seems to be, in my mind, a, a speeded up um, El Nenny, in my mind. He, he's quite metronomic. Um, he's got a bit more pizzazz about him in his movement. He can step you. I think in the first game against Atletico Madrid, he got he got pressed a few times. He got his head down and lost the ball in the edge of the area. So what he does when he gets pressed, he tr- he buys a foul. And I think in, um, in France that may work. I, I, I spotted that in the YouTubes. He buys a foul and turns around to the ref. I think in England, mate, you won't get those fouls, so be very careful. Don't use buying a foul to get you out of pressure. I think um, once people start to rate him, they'll put pressure on him and seeing how he works under the press. But all his highlights were wonderful, but if you notice, there was no pressure on him. So, But I like what I like about him, Elliot, is he's only been at the club two minutes and he's joined the club like Ian, like Ian Wright joined the club right so you look at him and you think hold on a minute he, he, you're, you're best friends with everybody you seem to be absolutely part of the group and you're 19 years of age you've got arrogance to receive the ball your personality is huge right so I'm thinking well one of the things you have with young players is giving them the, giving them the personality to play and he just walked in and said I'm here I'm ready to play give me the ball Don't and I'm going to there was like a couple of really cool bits where he's on the ball and he's looking up and while running, he's pointing at players to tell them where to go. Talking about yeah. personality on the ball. I think, you know, when you see a player doing that in your second game, then you start to get excited. Then you can start to think about the football aspects. He's a friendly, but if you're doing that in this company, when last season I heard he wasn't even getting into the Lorient team that much, he was in and out. And suddenly he's um, come to Arsenal. I'm not saying he's in our team, but none of us would say he, he looks a first-team player, put it that way, and he's in our squad. And I'll tell you what, he's going to be pushing really quickly. So fair play to him for settling in so fast amongst some big names in European football, and he looks like he belongs. Yeah, and in the category of things I did not expect to see uh, in July – Matteo Genduzzi winning an Arsenal Twitter poll against the likes of Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Mesut Ozil for man of the match. Not something I would have expected. And I mean, look, Paul, I, I think one of the operative questions here, and we'll talk about the kind of player he is and what kind of role he could play and, and where you see him going this season, but one of the operative questions whenever anybody shines in preseason, and especially someone with as limited sort of big club first team type experience as he has and at his age, how much of this is just low-quality preseason opposition. I mean, I, I think personally, even though it's a B team for PSG, and as it was a B team for Atletico Madrid, that a pressing, energetic, young B team for PSG is still a, a big step up from the you know the Singapore 11s or the Taiwan 11s, you know, those type of teams that we were facing in, in some previous preseasons. Do you think that Amen, we can brother. take much from this, or, or, or are you inclined um, to write it off? Well, I mean... You got to run it through the Crampatron four thousand. Oh, we've I mean, upgraded it, to the four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Now that's your beer uh, fifty two money at work, listener. It is. So he's played two games for us. Um, so that's not very much. It's preseason, but I think you can start adding in some other f- factors into the Crampatron, which is, like you say, PSG actually did quite a nice job, especially for the whole first half, uh, and especially early on of pressing. Uh, there may have been other things that 
didn't work for them after about 15 minutes, but that they certainly did because they were largely under uh, Tuchel's new regime and instruction. So I thought they did a good job pressing, which was particularly interesting. I thought he did, if if he brings one thing to our midfield uh, that we don't have apart from Torreira, it's that ability to kind of spin, twist, uh, hold on to the ball under pressure. I definitely, I think many of us have seen what, Clive mentioned the falling over too easily and he'll get mugged in front of our defense a couple of times and have to learn the lesson the hard way. Um, but there was loads to like about this guy. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he loves to drop between the center backs. He loves well, to I drop. Talk about that. The, yeah. He loves to drop into that uh, full back spot as well. When mm-hmm. the full backs go forward and uh, gives them angles for those balls over the top and to be able to, help build up, to build up our play through midfield in these different ways, but also be able to throw the, 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 jab, the jab and then the, the, the swing punch, the hook punch over the top from time to time means they don't know what they're looking at. So I think, you know, obviously it's something Chaka can do. Uh, the yes. fact that Guendouzi can do it. Uh, delicious comparisons. Uh, and different stages they're at. Yes, it's only two games. I thought was what was also interesting was he was one of the guys that uh, Emery left out there basically yeah. all day in both yep. games. Not he definitely quite. wanted a good long look at him. Yeah. So I thought initially, oh, he doesn't mind burning him because he's young and because he, he won't be playing in the next couple of games. And that might have been his first thought in game number one. But maybe by game number two, he's thinking... Let me see what happens if I leave this guy out here. Or alternatively, he's the guy that's actually kind of dictating the style of the play. And one of the problems you have when you switch out 11 players for 11 players is your game goes to shit. And here was this thread of continuity between our fir- the first bunch of 11 we sent out and the second bunch. And, you know, we there was actually some continuity, I think, in both halves where normally you get a shit show in the, in the second uh, 11 who come out there yeah and I, I think there are players that excite you in preseason sometimes that they excite you because of their physical skills you know Oxley Chamberlain was a player like that he looked really exciting initially because he just was such a powerful runner and against physically inferior players he could burst right by them they, they couldn't get near him but he ran with his head down and you could see how against craftier more intelligent and more physical players he might struggle and and not be able to use his physical skills to always dominate and that that proved to be the case he was hugely inconsistent for us uh but the thing that impresses me about this kid is head up looking around aware of space aware of where to be also the ability to understand the instruction from the manager or the coach we don't have a manager anymore quite quickly um it seems that what emery wants to do is split the center backs in position in the first phase of build-up and have the deepest midfielder drop between them or drop alongside them and he did that in a very accomplished and an intelligent way throughout his performances he dropped between the center backs he picked up the ball it gave him the ability to turn and distribute you know to the fullbacks or uh, start to build with those line breaking passes that he seems to do really well and i think for me the, the challenge with him clive is that he didn't always track his runners very well i think defensively as with a lot of young players yeah. that's the part of the game that he still needs to work on and and get a good feel for but so where this starts to get complicated for him is you know terrera because of his incredible defensive awareness and and uh, marking and his ability to track runners off the ball, I think he's going to be a critical part of protecting our center backs, who we can come to later on, but are, are clearly a weakness in the squad. That that makes you wonder, you know, does Torreira have the skills on the ball to drop between the center backs? Or will Torreira sort of be the most defensive midfielder out of possession, but in possession, Ashaka or, in Mateo's case, Gendozi would be the one to come drop between the center backs and start the buildup. And so I ask you is, is the person whose position would be under threat? And I, I realize we're projecting way ahead of ourselves now. We're getting way over our ski tips. And, you know, that's something that is inevitable when this kind of stuff happens. But I, I want to caveat it by recognizing that he's still got a long way to go. But is the player he, you mentioned El Nenny, but El Nenny really isn't in the frame for a lot of first team starts, certainly in the Premier League. Um, is the player that he is an analog for and, and potentially could be a threat for with his skill set, Granite Chaka? Um, I don't agree. And because I think we've seen a young kid that can play the deepest role, but he's got the energy to play 
at number eight role as well. And this is what I like about the signings this year in the two of them, in Torreira and Guendouzi. They both are mobile. They both can play at a higher intensity than we've played in previous seasons in centre midfield. And so straight away, the, the positional side is less of a concern for me. I think from the experience watching Torreira in the World Cup, he definitely likes to be at the base of a diamond or the base of a midfield. And he plays that role slightly differently. He may not have the 40-yard the pass, but not that I've seen yet anyway, but he's sharp with the 15-yard pass, and he's definitely a good support line. But he also goes into the pitch with a defensive mindset and says, I'm going to make sure I can protect and go and engage and force transitions. And we're going to need that. <laughs> we're going to need that massively. I think there's three phases of the game, in possession, out possession, and transition. And transition is the new playmaker. How you create quick transitions and play make from that situation and i feel we've we always we we defend with our last with our defenders if you see what i mean we don't defend high up enough so our center halves are the ones that do the defending and our midfield just let them let them go past and we go from there if we can steal the ball slightly higher we are going to catch teams off guard with our speed up top and really cause damage i think Torreira. don't just think about him as somebody that drops in between if you watch him closely, the moment there's a little bit of trauma in there, he goes straight in, sprints in like Kante, takes the ball and, and goes from there. I think Guendouzi has got the ability to just be a, an energetic eight. He can be a six in between. But for me, he's got the, the, the size, the speed. He's got the step and he's got the energy that makes me think, well, I'm not going to put him in a box at 19. Let's see what happens. But we need to add that. I mean, you've heard me say many times how how many times we were out to run when teams wanted to take us in the second half. They outrun us, out-intensed us. We've had a couple of players, if you had mate and Niles as well, that say to me, you're not going to find it so easy to outrun us anymore into the midfield. So I look forward to that. Well, so, all right, so that's funny. well said. Yeah, but well, I was just going to add ahead, a quick one on uh, to, to round that out. So Bellerin had has just done a few quotes saw it on the Ars blog news and he had a little thing about how Emery has them working their nuts off uh, pressing and running around a lot yeah. <laughs> so I think that matches to Clive's you know we saw game after game last season where probably partly morale but also energy levels just feckin dropped in the second half so yeah absolutely well, I, I want to do you remember the Everton away Man- and Man City away week a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah. That's when it really hit home to me. We were in dominating those games in the first half, yeah. missed our chances, and they just basically just ran around a lot in the second half and, yeah. and beat us. And that, to me, what was that, a year and a half ago? Nearly two years, probably coming up to this winter? That, to me, was the problem that's staring us in the face, and we have maybe finally addressing it. Yeah, so before we come to those Bellerin comments, because I do want to touch on those a little bit. I thought it was interesting. I think some people are maybe making a little bit too much of it, but I, I do want to get into it a little bit. But just as a last thought on Genduzi, then. So, Paul, if if maybe it's too soon to suggest that he could unseat someone like Granit Xhaka, and if maybe he doesn't have the defensive skill set to take up the positions that Torreira would take up, is the person who could find this problematic... Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I mean, this set up to be yes. a really big season for him because you look and you say, there's a guy with legs and running in, in central midfield, something we've lacked. He's got League Cup, Europa League, and maybe FA Cup games to get himself into the reckoning and maybe the odd game in, in the Premier League. And, you know, El Nenny floating around there, and I, I don't really know what his role is going to look like. But with the addition of Matteo Genduzzi and, and the performances he's had this summer so far and the fact that Maitland-Niles has not seen the pitch as much, is he the one who really stands to be uh, losing potential opportunities as a result of this? Certainly, I can't think he's overexcited about seeing Torreira and Ganduzi coming in. Um, he's got to think, oops, uh, that just put me a few notches back. Um, so, uh, I mean, one of the things we'll, that'll be interesting is how much Emery sticks to a first eleven. Uh, because if he has a more flexible approach, uh, um, one of the things I'd love to see this year is is Ozil getting benched for a few games or getting yanked off at 70 minutes. Not, not as any slight against him, not any step back, not any 
demotion. Well, let's Just get it. Why do, you, why do you hate Mesut Ozil? I mean, is he your least favorite player in the team, would you say? Because I'm a racist. Oh, oh all by right, the well, way, right. I you, really missed out last week because I got like freckles. Yeah. So I got like, I don't, I mean, Clive yeah. can talk and you can talk, but I don't think anybody can talk for both sides like I can. With freckles? Are you a ginger? Freckles. No. Oh, God, right. no. Yeah, okay. No, well, thank, thank goodness. So, all right. So then. So, if, yeah, uh, I get, so my point being, it would be very interesting to see how much rotation and flexibility of lineup we we choose and the idea that maybe Ozil doesn't play a particular game just because, and he's fine with it, we're fine with it, and the media finally gets over the, the idea that if a player isn't played, it's some kind of major signal or sign, which would give players like Maitland-Niles opportunities to get into to games when they're like three or four. You know, it keeps everybody's hope alive. I certainly think... He's got uh, got issues with the players he's got ahead of him. And I think he has the issue that, uh, and it's a very real issue, that he'll look at Torreira, and if he's smart, he'll real, realize that guy is a level of focus, of anticipation, of being mentally, not only in the game, but in each moment, that I don't think he has. Yep. And has always been my concern with him. You see this kind of, this body language where after a, after he gets involved in something and it doesn't go well, he kind of his whole energy level drops. Call, you know, we'll leave the pop psychology out of it, but you'll often see him kind of tune out of a moment, and, and that's not something. You know, Torreira loses the ball; that he just sees that as his next opportunity to get back at you. And uh, Ganduzi as well is, to me, very much in the game all the time. And if if Maitland Niles want to play, wants to play as a screen in front of our back four, he can never, ever, ever switch off. And I don't know how you get that if you don't have it. And I was thinking about him this morning, thinking, you know, what position, do, like we often think of players pushed out wide so that they can kind of be a little bit more of a soloist. Mentally, is that also the case? Could he be a wing back for us? or something, uh, using all of his skills and abilities in the near term. Because I do think he's got a hell of a competition in the center of the midfield. Maybe he'll respond to it. Maybe Emery's the coach to kind of turn his thinking around as he looks at it. And it's not, you know, I'm not talking about a guy who's had major problems for us. He looked great many times last year. But I've always had this concern that he's not fully... He's got a lot of stuff going on in his head, in his head if you ask me, and Maybe. he needs to be fully on it all the time. I mean, it, it's certainly the case that he comes back into a situation at Arsenal where suddenly an area of weakness looks like it may be a growing strength for this squad. And so what may have been a very opportunist, opportunistic situation for him is less so. I think it's going to get really interesting for Gendozi or Ganduzi. Look, let's just keep changing it. That way, at some point, when? I'll say it right. Uh, Mateo has an opportunity here because neither Torreira nor Shaka have been in the squad yet. Torreira was, I, I joked on Twitter that uh, right after the PSG game, there was a social media post from Torreira showing that he was uh, leaving to get on the plane to come back to London. And I joked that the Genduzzi performance scared him off his holiday. But all kidding aside, I mean, Emery's going to have a tough choice to make against City because it's such a big game to start the season. You don't want to take unnecessary risk. But can you start with a Shaka or a Torreira who haven't had a full preseason in a big game like that? And so, you know, if Genduzzi continues to impress in the preseason, he may be in line for potentially a role in that first game or even those first two games against Chelsea and City, which would be pretty incredible, City and Chelsea. Anyway, Clive, Hector Bellerin was was interviewed uh, in Singapore, and they he was asked about the training, and he had some comments about how, you know, he sort of referenced working harder, working harder on running, that the manager wants them to press more, that they're training a little bit harder than they did in the past. Some people have read it as not a critic an intended criticism of arson, but have decided to read into it criticism of arson. I mean, I am a little tired of all this having to be compared and contrasted, but I think so it is... So boring. Yeah, but it's natural. I mean, it is natural. You know, it's it's like when you're with that new lover for the first time and... You know, you're you're sort of comparing in your mind notes about, you know, what the, the previous lover was like and what this lover is like. And, you know, are you crying more after sex with your new lover than you were with your old lover? You know, all of those sort of things. Um, so putting the crying after sex aside, 
which I really wish I hadn't admitted to just now. Um, I mean, do you do you read into anything in the Bellerin quotes? I mean, one thing he did reference was that we want to press more. I haven't really seen us being tremendously intense with our pressing in preseason. How did you feel about uh, the comments he made? The comments are pretty standard, and I don't. I didn't look into them and think, "Oh, wow, that matches what I've been thinking." I tell you, let's just be honest now. What we've seen in the games, what we've seen in the games so far, is a set of players playing for a new boss, and so they're looking to impress. One thing I have, we've all seen, is, is a fantastic team spirit, and a, and a level of urgency that you get when when new bosses is in town. And there's no hierarchy. There's a new hierarchy being set. So everyone's working very hard to get their place in the pecking order. right? So a manager will come in and what he'll say is, okay, I'm now assessing all of you. And, you know, even though we all know there's a level of wages that dictate and contract that dictate things, you want to give the players the impression they all have a fair shot. So some players that were previously not so well thought of will then start to step up, right? So it's another reason why I think this whole five captain thing that Emery's done is brilliant. It's genius. He's saying, I'm not going to take on board what's been done previously. Do, do you think, create- though, that that is a sign of the, the shrinking global economy, considering that Arsene wanted 11 captains on the pitch and Emery's down to five? I mean, is this, is this Brexit-related? Do you, do you want to wear no. your economist hat on this one or no? Do you know what? Did you want me to go into a bit deeper? I think this five no. captains thing is something, <laughs> is something that, that other majors have done, other coaches have done in rugby, things like that. Uh, Eddie Jones did it. Gav Southgate did it when he first went with England. And Emery's doing it. And it's a great way to sort of create a leadership group, create a trust group that feeds up into you. And eventually somebody will go to the top of that group. And I think he's probably waiting for Shaka to come back to be the fifth captain. That makes perfect sense. And he's got his five captains there. And I like it because what he's doing there, he's not putting anyone on a pedestal. He's saying, you're not on a... We're all the same. We've got a leadership group and you've got to be the leadership group for the rest of the squad. And no one of you is on a pedestal. And I think it's brilliant that he's put Ozil into that leadership group. He's taken away his deference. He's made him stand up and own him, own his role, own his wage, own his level, own his quality and say, you're one of my leaders. Now you have to be like one. I think it's great that Ramsey's in there and I don't like the fact that I read stuff that Ramsey's will only stay if he's captured. I think that's wrong. I think you've got to buy, I don't know whether it's true or not. I, I don't like that. Buy into the new model, be one of the five leaders and and then we you know, keep everything moving on together. So I think it's I think it's really smart what he's doing to build a new culture. And Bella really just outlining some of that. And the bits I took from that are, if anything, we have an off-the-ball strategy more now. And there are games mm, when Wenger yeah. has pressed significantly. And then the next game, there was nothing. I've seen a little bit of pressing. I've seen a little bit of energy. I haven't seen anything massive. There was a great article that was on last blog from the training sessions that I think we've all saw over the over the weekend. I can't remember the guy whose name who wrote it. Something like was, Hata Aziz or something? Yeah, he knows all of us and I've forgotten his name, so I'd, hopefully someone can find it. But And what I took from it was they were working on certain triggers to press. They're working on certain moments to press. And there are different times you can press. You know, you can press off when someone, you know, someone like Phil, Phil Jones has the ball. He's, every time he gets it, let's press him. Do you know what I mean? Or you can press when you have a lateral ball to miss out one defender and it goes to a certain zone. And you can get a player like a Firmino or like a Ramsey, for example, who would kick off a pressing motion. So when he goes, everyone then goes with them and they keep the unit tight. There are different offensive and defensive pressing triggers that I think he may be working on. So tactically... I think the players are getting rinsed out tactically. They're getting mm. told, this is how we're going to play. And I think it's brilliant. I think they're going to have to do a level of analysis, for example, to keep this going. And I think we're going to see this develop. I think once we play meaningful games, I think that will be used as a benchmark to instruct these guys on how we're going to play. So I'm not expecting a, a metamorphosis in playing style. I'm expecting the start of a change. And then I think it'll improve throughout the first half of the season. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, one thing people have have talked about is how long it takes for managers to be able to instill a new style, and whether it's uh, Klopp or Pep, you can see in their you know, first season the struggle they had implementing the style they wanted. Now, some of that was down to not having the personnel they needed to play that way, but some of it is just retraining players who are not familiar with playing in a specific way. So, 
you know, we it may take some time can, can for Emily to get that message across. Before you do, I just want to say real quick, the, the person that uh, Clive mentioned who wrote a fantastic article that you can find uh, on Ars Blog, uh, his name is Hatta Aziz, and on Twitter he is chat with hat. Uh, and he wrote a fantastic tactical analysis of sort of training Indeed. and the games that were down there. So you're going to want to look for that. Yeah, Paul, you want to chime in? Yeah, uh, also on Hatta, I, I had a bit of a chat with him along the way. He's depressingly smart for one so young. Not that young people shouldn't be smart, but he's wise and smart. So anyway, good guy. Um, so uh, what, were we, what were we chatting about? I don't know. You were oh, the yeah, one who yeah. wanted to oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fire away, yeah, so buddy. The, <laughs> so uh, new managers, new systems. The, the great thing about... Emery is he's really taking a, a system and a layout that's pretty close to what Arson had. Now, uh, you can have various reactions to that, emotional or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, he's still basically 4 2 3 1, or maybe he'll tweak it a bit. Uh, players are, you know, he's not asking. It would be nice if he mixes in some playing with three at the back, but we've actually done some of that too. So, while I think there will be some significant differences to how we play under Emery versus Arson, he's not doing a, a, you know, it's not like a Pep coming in or a Klopp saying, oh, forget the back, we're going to do it all from the front, uh, you know, uh, defending is for schmucks, um, at least for the first six or 12 months while they get uh, kind of reamed by one team or another at the back. So to me, it's it's a variation, on, a very significant variation, but on a theme. So I think Emery has a chance to not look stupid for the first three or six months, whereas somebody trying to do a pep could get reamed. Somebody, you know, Pochettino had a very, very tough time for, what, the first year? Because it was so fundamentally different. Yeah. And getting the players' buy-in and getting the supporters and the media's buy-in I don't think Emery has that kind of it's significant difference, and but a lot of that'll be behind the scenes, as we've well, said. It'll be interesting to see it, what we see on the pitch, maybe more subtle but significant. Yeah, I think the other thing to bear in mind as well is that it is a little bit unfortunate that he starts with Chelsea and City or City and Chelsea because there is an expectation that it may not all fall into place right away, and you don't really have the luxury of you know, having a half-assed performance in those first couple of games. Having said that, maybe it breaks the other way because if you drop points to Chelsea and City, I guess, you know, look, our fan base can be unforgiving at the best of times, but it's not like dropping points, you know, to Palace in the opening game or something like that. So you could see it either way. Clive, how about a final thought on um, just sort of those Bellerin comments and the, the tactical adjustments? Yeah, I think, you know, we're all keen to sort of um, be Emory experts as quickly as we possibly can. Um, and I think you'll find I've achieved and, it pretty pretty effortlessly. Yeah, sure. I think you've done a great job, right? And and we're looking to spot formations. Is it four three three? Is it four two three one? But I suppose we need to start thinking a little bit differently about in on the ball formation and off the ball formation. And I think what we're seeing is a variation of the two. We're seeing a certain formation when we have the ball and we're seeing players go to certain zones at that point. And then when when we're defending, we may be going back to a slightly 4-1-4-1. You know, so we, we have to sort of open our eyes a little bit more. I'm looking forward to the next couple of friendlies to see if I could spot we naturally go to what we're doing when we're on the ball. Our eyes naturally go to that. But off the ball now, when we're defending, what, where do we go? Where does a Bamiyang drop to? You know, where do players go to? Then you can see what they've been told tactically. You know? And I think um, you can always spot in the first five minutes of a game, especially if you have a team have the ball, the formation the players drop into is what they call their off-the-ball formation. Then when we have the ball, they, they immediately flip into something else. And I think watching that transition, I think it's going to be the interesting thing. Wenger does it. I don't think he, he did enough emphasis on it. I don't think it was consistent enough. I think he let players get away with it off the ball. I think Emery is going to hold a much stronger off the ball strategy. And I don't think people are going to get away with not joining into the team ethic. And I can't wait to see that as it develops. Well said. Um, let's do this. We have a new feature uh, in the podcast called The End of Part One. This is it. But coming up in Part Two, we'll get to what I suspect will be our hobby hoss, hobby hoss, hobby hoss, hobby <laughs> horse. You know what? I'm not only going to mispronounce the names of players, I'm going to mispronounce all words all the time. We're going to get to what I believe will become the hobby horse topic of the season. Can you guess what it is? 
You don't want to miss part two coming up right after this. She runs through the night as if nobody cares. She screams and she cries and ignores all the stairs. She wants me to come, but I'm never going there. The gold heart mountaintop queen directory. The Okay, we're back with part two. And in this exciting moment, you get to find out what I believe will be the hobby horse debate topic of the season, the thing that we will pull our hair out over, gnash our teeth over, the thing that will drive us nuts and have us arguing and finally get back to that great feeling we used to have when it was AKBs versus WOBs, and that is Aubameyang, center forward or wide Woo-hoo. forward. It's a good one. It's a hot one. I think you will agree that it is one that will run and run. And Paul, in this game against PSG... We got to see Aubameyang start the game up front, and I am a believer that this is a guy that if you buy him, if you bring him in, he has to be at center forward. Um, I think you saw some of the runs that he is able to make from there, some of the danger he can pose. He got into really good positions. He got on the end of moves, and it's not just the running in behind. I think the reason people seem to state for why he can play wide is that he can run between the fullback and the center back, but it's getting on the move, the end of moves in the box that I think is so crucial to his performance. Having said that, Lacazette came on and obviously influenced the game as well uh, later on in the game. Where do you fall uh, and where are you going to plant your flag in the Obamiang position debate? It depends on who else we have for wide forwards. It depends uh, as... As Clive kind of intimated, uh, you know how you execute a a, a formation um, is as important as the formation, um, and I really don't know what he's going to do in that front three. I think Obama Yang, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, will end up being our centre forward, which makes me sad because I really like the way him and Lacazette are kind of getting on and. Everybody's getting on well, and there's no reason for them to fall out. Interestingly, of course, if Obama Yang was starting the first half, that means Lacazette was starting the second half. Um, and both of them were, this was the first time he pretty much, he'd prized the pair apart and kind of effectively had them competing. Um, so that's kind of a new tone in the team. Um I'd like to give Aubameyang some props because I think it's largely due to him that it's kind of there. It's no drama Obama time. It's no drama Aubameyang time. His uh, he's kind of the jester king. We've had jesters at the club before, but they've usually not been very good footballers. This guy is arguably the first guy on our team sheet. Um, so you're no saying he's not who, the next Podolsky in terms of being a whiz at making people laugh, but not so much at the playing center forward thing? <laughs> yeah, or a Boué or, you know, whoever it is. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, who almost, in a way, started to... You almost felt they were being the jester because they weren't quite good enough or were feeling a little bit of heat or wanted to have a role within... a bigger role within the team. You know, this guy is pretty much our our, our main main guy in terms of i mean honestly is anybody else more of a a number one on the on the team sheet i know there are people with status and profile etc but if there was one guy you wanted to force emery to put on the team sheet uh for an upcoming key game you you know anytime you have a guy who could score 30 league goals he has to be the first name on the team sheet right and we the we haven't had that in so long that yeah. now that we have it, I think people are flipping out about how to use it. But, you know, I, I think the issue, of course, is that it seems, at least from the early preseason lineups and certainly the way Arsene Wenger did it, that the belief is if you're going to get Obama Yang and Lacazette on the pitch together, that Lacazette is going to be sort of the de facto number nine, although there is some shifting and moving around. So then the question yeah. becomes, do you have to get all these guys on the pitch? And so... Clive, I'm curious to get your take on whether you think the right play here is just to have Aubameyang center forward as the first option and everything else as the alternate, or would you be trying to get them both on the pitch, even if that means shunting Aubameyang out wide occasionally? 
yeah, I would be trying to get them both on the pitch. And the reason why, I don't think uh, Lacazette is... Sorry, I don't think Aubameyang is that great at build-up, right, in short spaces. When he's forced to go back to goal, come back into the midfield back, I don't think he's robust enough. I don't think he's brave enough under significant pressure. It's just not his game. He likes to see his defender. He likes to see things around him. He doesn't like when he can't see his defender. And even his speed coming back to goal isn't as great as his speed going towards goal, if you see what I mean. Let's see how that develops. I spotted that last year. I haven't seen much of it this year. Let's see how that develops. When I look around the world, all the best forwards in the world play from wide areas. right? So we're getting hung up about this, but that that's the gap you've got to go for. You've got to go for the, in between the fullback and the centre-half. Look at the two forwards at Liverpool. You know, they could easily both play centre-forward together. They have that linking player in the middle and they go in behind. That linking player drops in, works back into midfield. That suits Lacazette's profile massively. The problem that we have, or not the problem, is that the issue that we have is that we play a playmaker on the other side. We play an Ozil or a Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan is more offensive. What I'd like to see Arsenal do is really go for PSG or for Liverpool and buy that player on the right-hand side that's that's really quick, really devastating and really wants to penetrate and to actually pin teams back and have pace on both sides of the pitch. Anthony Martial, have, everybody? <laughs> well, I like Dembele myself. But well, yeah, of I, course. But... Yeah, I like Dembele. I like that type, that Douglas Costa type player. Um, that player, you know, has got two feet or a big left foot from the right-hand side that really going to be a goal threat. You know, Ozil can do up to a point. Mkhitaryan can do up to a point. As they get older, they'll lose that that want to sprinting behind and they'll naturally want to stay behind the ball. So I that's the development for me. I don't, get, I don't worry about Lacazette playing wide left. Long as we're not expecting him to be a left winger dribbling, I, I see him as a, a wide forward, not a winger. And that's that's no... Theo Walker was a wide forward and he got plenty of goals on the right-hand side. No one expects him to dribble. It's just his movement that got him the goals. I think I think for Arsenal, I think to start games, particularly with somebody like Lacazette to give us some solidity, is good. But if we go one, two goals up and we're away from home and you just suddenly you put Lacazette, you put Aubameyang centre forward and when teams press on, we can go in behind. It just gives us great options. So I'm not hung up on it, Elliot. I, I think it's good that we get that many goals onto the pitch, and that's what we need. Yeah, I, it's, and if go uh, ahead, Paul. Yeah, sorry. If if Emery can uh, infuse the same mentality of the five captains, kind of to the formation thing, like I talked about it not being a big deal that Ozil doesn't start a game. If he can get the mentality that we're doing different things in different games, even if it's a little bit of a fiction in the first half of the season, yeah. where we don't get freaking, you know, freak out and read too much into Aubameyang starting or Lacazette yeah. starting up front, um, or you know Ramsey not playing a game or coming off Paul, the bench, yeah, Paul, you know what, mate, that's an absolutely fantastic point, and I think it's something that we fans do we start to write down teams and formations and people say well, what about Ramsey what about Ozil how are we going to get him in I'm thinking you know how you much know does Pep swap around <laughs> his centre forwards thing right yeah, yeah he's got two amazing wide forwards and he just bought Mares right for 60 odd million their record signing he knows that you have dips in form you have to create an environment where people accept we've watched Mesut Ozil go to the northwest of England for the last three to four years can anyone think of a good give me five games he's played well at Man United Man City um, it, it's just not happened right he gets smashed away from home at Liverpool so why to be fair, we... it's hard to play well in the north, uh, northern part of England when you only go up there for about half the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm trying to say. At home, completely different animal on the home games against those teams. He's, he's tremendous. So we know there's a weakness there. Historically, that may change going forward. You know, it's a clean sheet of paper. We know there's a weakness. So let's just do what Paul's alluded to. You pick players for those occasions where we need to do something else to establish ourselves in those games. And if Mesut Ozil's not prepared to do that, I'm just using this example because I'm a you know, huge fan, but we've all seen it, then we do something else. And that's got to be okay with not just the media, but the fan base. You know, I'm not sure we're mature enough to accept it sometimes. Well, I, I think the problem is everybody has a favorite and they want to see their favorites on the pitch. You know, I remember Thierry Henry got rested occasionally, and I remember 
you know, being furious when he wasn't out there just because I wanted to watch him play. You? And it was very selfish. Well, I like to be furious at least 80% of the time if I can handle it. Um, well, well, so let's talk about those a little bit because in this game, it had kind of a 4-4-2 thing going on early on where Aubameyang and Ozil were kind of playing side by side. And actually that led to Ozil getting the goal. I mean, Paul, what did you think about how Ozil was used? And do you have any kind of window based on that? I know it's very limited exposure to his usage so far under Emery, but how he how he might see him and how he might want him to interact with the forwards. Um, it, so the goal kind of brought back that period where he was working with Alexis and it was Ozil who was getting forward. Um, and it was kind of one of the better periods for Ozil and Alexis. Um, uh, and the other thing that stood out in that goal is, again, Yang's quite a generous personality. I mean, he didn't just put in a cross. I mean, he put his whole body into uh, cushioning in the perfect cross. I mean, he completely turns himself around. He's not just putting a cross across the box. I mean, he's, you know, he pours himself in his whole body shape, everything into the, getting that ball across to Ozil right where he wants it onto his right foot, by the way. But anyway, um so it, I don't know how much we could read into that game. There were Emery's comments about him, about playing with a number 10, like a true number 10. Um, so I think it's, I think there's going to be a lot of trial and error for Emery. Uh, I think we're going to hopefully see a lot of different looks in the early days. And I think the first 11 we see in the first 10 games of the season will probably look nothing like the first 11 we see in the last 10 games of the season. Uh, players such as a Gwendozy, uh, Gendozy will have the chance to be promoted into truly into that first 11 squad. But, the difficulty we have, not to put us out of the podcasting business, but, you know, we do a lot of projection and supposition at this stage. And trial and error is going to bubble up a lot of answers. Um, and I bet he's still scratching his head on what to do with Ozil. And if you have Ozil in the team, you can't have too many other people you're carrying. So uh, against a, a top side, can you have Obama Yang kind of tracking back on the left wing and Ozil not not really kind of uh, pulling a payload in the center of the, you know, what are the two that you then put in the midfield? There's probably a way of doing it, but maybe it's, I don't know, Torreira and Guendouzi. And so there are lots and lots of moving parts here. I think it's going to be a fascinating year. Um, you know, will Ozil play from the center and move out to the wings? Will he be played from the wing and move to the center? I don't think Emery knows. Yeah, we certainly don't know. That's what that's what this conversation has led me to believe, um, which is what you come here for, equivocation, yeah. and we're happy to provide it. I think the the ultimate issue for me, again, with, with this hobby horse issue of Aubameyang is he is the best in-the-box player we have at the club. And, you know, I, I definitely agree with you to a certain extent, Clive, that he's not as great when he has to drop deeper Having said that, I think if he's out wide, he has to come deeper more. He has to make more recovery runs. He has to come back and help cover the fullback more. He has to yeah. drop deeper in the midfield to help you know, with, with those things. And so he's using up more of his energy in his runs with recovery runs and with defensive running and you know, picking up the ball in deeper positions and running at fullbacks. And I don't know that he's all that great at it. What I do know is we focus on his running in behind, and he can definitely do that from you know, a wide forward type position or the channel. What we don't necessarily focus on, where I think he is special, and his statistics show that he's special, is in the box, on the end of moves, yeah. in the box. And we forget he's also a tall guy. He's taller than Lacazette. He can jump higher than Lacazette. He's a better header of the ball than Lacazette. So where I worry is these and, teams And I also that think, uh, I was just going to say, Clive said about playing from the wing, uh, you know, the, many of the top goal scorers, many of the top players. The one thing about that is they also use build-up their build-up skills and their build-up play. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo's brilliant at uh, kind of laying off the ball from the wing. Messi the same. Mo Salah the same. Um, so, yeah, in a way... Yeah, Aubameyang is not great on the ball. Not great is, is overstating it, but you know what I mean. He is... He is an end-of-the-move guy. I mean, and, yeah. and and we saw him lay on a beautiful assist for Ozo, so I don't want to totally discredit him. But I think, you know, the, the point is, Paul, what are we going to do against teams that, that pack the, you know, park the bus? And you'd say, 
well, okay, you know, let's have Lacazette and, and Aubameyang in there. But what I would say is that that's where you want Aubameyang, center of the box. You know, he he, he can get, he will finish more moves in the box in a crowded area. He will get onto the ball better. He will get onto the end of crosses better. He will make the one-yard run behind He'll the center He'll move all better. the center backs around because he's also really, really thick and tall, and he has that personality. So he'll make holes in the box that... A Lacazette wouldn't is my concern. Clive disagrees. Clive, let's really dig into this and start arguing. We've got a whole season, and we got to get. If we're going to really, really get bitter and entrenched, now is the time to do it. So come on, give me bitter and entrenched. Let's hear it. Uh, I can't. It's just I'm just not worried uh, because it's not on brand at all. Agreed. Because he can score goals at the back post, he can score goals at the penalty box, he can score goals outside of the box, as we saw already against Borenwood. I'm just not worried. His ability to read the play is his trick, yeah, to know fair. where that ball's going. And and Lacazette knows how to stay in shooting lines. He's a bit like a Giroud, one-touch one finish. <laughs> now, now I know I hate him. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's just... So I'm just not worried about them. So Lacazette may lack that 30-yard pace, um, Aubameyang's got it, right? Aubameyang may lack that hold-up strength back to goal. Lacazette's got it. So I'm looking at these two and I'm thinking, they like playing with each other. They like being part of a partnership. Now we've got to support them appropriately, right? They make sure we can give them the ball when they want it and get them working together. So I'm not worried. There will be game scenarios, Elliot, where Aubameyang is perfectly suited to play that front on his own, right? And there will be other game stars when the two of them will play. And and isn't it great to have them both? Of right? course, and, yes. And, yes. And, 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 and Obama Yang putting a smile on everybody's face. And, you know, there's miserable Messet coming back. And, you know, he sets up the goal with Messet. But also, you know, Messet would normally kind of play that down because it's preseason. Big smile on his face, laughing, joking, you know, running over to Obama Yang. They're playing guitars later on. You know, yeah. I, I think Obama Yang's a real, real asset to the squad. He's changed. He's changed the atmosphere of the whole yeah. club, hasn't he? He's just, yep. He just. He reminds me of Ian Wright. The impact that he had when he came yeah. and just basically walked to the dressing room and just owned it from day yeah. one, and it, yeah. and everyone danced to his beat. Right. So, I just think back, and we've been on this podcast a few years now, and we've had great debates, and and there's many games, many games. We had a situation where we played with Theo Walcott and Giroud and. Um, Say Podolski, and I, I liked, I liked all of those players, all all really nice players, really nice people. <laughs> but now we're talking about Mkhitaryan, Abamyang, Lacazette, or Özil. So it's gone up, it's gone up, and I, I think we, I, I don't see this as a problem because everything's there. What I do see as a problem is that we can see the most goals in the top six last year, and I'm not convinced we've shut our back door yet. And well, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, I, I debated whether we should discuss defense in this podcast. We touched on it last podcast. I just don't think there's much to add, and I'm fine leaving it for right now. I think yeah. everybody is in agreement that it is an area of concern, that we do not necessarily have a defender in the group that gives you real confidence. And I touched yeah. on this on another podcast, which I said any of these defenders, Holding, Chambers, Mustafi, Socrates, I might feel better about if there was a star alongside them, you know, a fully fit Koscielny, someone I trusted, but none of them seem good enough to be the main man themselves, and so the partnership scare me, and that's why, you know, obviously, ultimately, someone like Lucas Torreira becomes so important, but I think we can pass on that just Mm. for the moment. It's an issue, well, you want want to quickly have a word about it, Clive, because it's an issue that's going to run and run, we know that. Uh, and you're right. That's exactly what people are. Th- that's exactly what people are thinking. So rather than buy a centre half that we need, we're we're asking a five foot six guy from Uruguay that's never even been to a Premiership ground, let alone played in one. Right. So we're put, we're we're putting a lot on our midfield dynamism. Well, he's the savior of the think, entire club. What's so bad about that? Absolutely. Easy and, uh, we all can't wait to see him. But you know, again, if you look at the numbers, the numbers. You know, I think we scored the third highest goals last season but we're way off right because we conceded so many and so i have it here it was 142 goals conceded last season (laughs) so we 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 basically that's the problem we have to fix and i don't think it's just about midfield construct although we're all quite excited about what we're seeing but it is about that quality 
defender in the centre of the pitch, at the left centre-back, and I'm afraid at left-back. Because in those friendlies, did you see how many crosses were coming from our left-back side and the offensive right-hand side? There was so crosses coming from that side of the pitch and all the danger was on that side of the pitch. So I don't think we've locked up the left-hand side of our defence. And, and, and I'm waiting to see what happens there and what combination we end up with to see if that gets resolved in the near future. Yeah, I think we all are. We'll, t- we'll touch on Ramsey before we say goodbye, but one more thing, Paul, I'll just give you a little bit of a free swim. We haven't talked much about the, the latter portions of the game. I, it, I felt that the game kind of fell apart structurally towards the end, just got a little yeah. wonky, and of course that's where we scored four goals, so that was all well and good. But did anybody stand out for you in that latter part of the game, or was it just a little too unstructured to take much away from it? So who did we have on the pitch at the end? Oh, I have no idea. I wasn't watching. No, I'm just kidding. I mean... Uh, you know, it was so, uh, Lacazette was out there. He was scoring, uh, I believe. Uh, Smith Rowe came on. Came on, and yeah, you know, Smith, did his Smith thing. Smith Rowe was still tasty. I thought. Uh, uh, oh, I thought. So oh. I think Nelson generally looks a little chunkier, a little bit more physical. So I thought he looked pretty good over the last two games. Uh, I'm more optimistic about him than I was um, after last season, though we had a good preseason. The uh, last season too, but I, I definitely think he's more of a force. He's not just dancing around the place kind of solo. I think he, he's kind of impacting games, but in particular uh, in Katia, uh, I've always been an Eddie fan. Uh, he just has such a dynamite confidence. <laughs> the no look. It's a nice cool go- finish. <laughs> oh man. But a no look finish. Yeah. Uh, you know, imagine if he just, like totally balls that up, like rollocks it into the stands. Or, you know, Maybe the but, best finish of the game is the Rob Holding header. I mean, that was pretty extraordinary. That was superb. Um, I guess the thing about Enkatia is it's repeatable. He does this kind of thing. Yeah, good point. <laughs> what I've seen uh, all through his mini career so far. Um, he, I just think he's really interesting. Uh, I definitely think he's the one from that, from that particular batch of players that – uh, has has all of the assets. Wish he was a little bigger. I don't know how f- he's fast. I don't know if he's lightning fast. I'm not sure either way. Uh, if he has that, maybe he can create the separation he needs without being super tall or or super built. Uh, but uh, yeah, he stood out to me. And it was kind of interesting seeing him from the left too, cutting in. I mean, he knows how to do that. Uh, he, he he's very much a hungry goal scorer, so maybe that doesn't fully suit him. Yeah, uh, but I thought that was very interesting. I think the only problem, Paul, is if you consider yourself a striker, a wide forward, an attacking midfielder, a number 10, and you're one of the youth team players trying to you know, bang on the door of the first team, you're going to find it real hard this season uh, yeah, yeah. because there's just a lot of options, and guys who aren't playing the Premier League are going to get those Europa League minutes. I mean, if if you're talking about you know, uh, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan not getting into Premier League teams, he's certainly going to play in the Europa League, and the same goes for Alex Awobi, and the, the same yeah. goes for Lacazette, or who, you know, whoever's being left now, out of that group. Nelson's really the one with the golden chance because we need a true wide forward. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point, and, and you know, he could even struggle once Dembele comes in, and once Dembele and Martial come in, then it's going to be even harder for him, so yeah. that's going to be tricky. Clive, uh, before we get to the Ramsey issue and sign off, do you have anyone from the sort of second portion of the game that, that stood out for you that's worth a mention? No, Paul sort of killed it all. Again, it's nice Typical. to see. Um, he, it's, yeah, it's just good to see. One thing I have taken from the, the training clip is that are life-changing. Um, do you notice the emphasis on finishing? There's a lots of emphasis on goals, on finishing, and and making sure you 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 finish off your chances. Everything leads to a goal. Every sort of um, every sort of um, drill has got a, an end product to it and a, and a forfeit to it, which is good. From a coaching perspective, I, I, that's that's messages. You're sending messages that we anyone can score. Anyone can score. We've seen some, you know, some really good stuff there on the, on the finishing side of things. So hopefully that will manifest itself into our into anything our on Leno up. or Le- Leno. Any, I mean, did you get anything from him in yeah, this game? I just um, again he, distribution maybe. Yeah, he just he's a footballer. 
So he's someone who could play out on pitch in five sides. You know, like you get some goalkeepers like Fraser Forster's got leaden boots. You don't want him anywhere near the ball with at feet. But Petr, this guy, Petr Cech, perhaps. <laughs> Petr Cech uh, is not. He's not. He's not as mobile as he used to be, obviously, and he's not that type of goalkeeper. But he's got. He's got not bad distribution. But this guy looks like a. And I, I read something, so I haven't seen this so much yet, but. He's someone that could develop into a sweeper-keeper as such, and we're going to play potentially a higher line, and our defenders are not the quickest, so he could be a very important part in that. It's a dangerous strategy, but lots of teams do it. As long as I think we're seeing goalkeepers becoming that that really 11th outfield player, and I think we're obviously going to use him um, much like England did in the summer, so... Um, yeah, he's not bad. Early days yet. Let's see what he's like under pressure on the course he's first. One thing I did like, well, so you mentioned that, and it's funny because I think it was early in the game. I might be wrong, but they whipped in a pretty hard cross from the left, and he just caught it. He just stepped forward and caught it instead of letting it get yeah. into danger, and he didn't try to punch it, and he didn't get crazy. Um, you know, the safe pair of hands for unset pieces on crosses, things like that. The thing that always yeah. worries you with a more slight keeper or a keeper who – isn't familiar with the Premier League is how will they handle crosses, set pieces, physicality? And I know you've said, Clive, that the Premier League is changing and that that's not the style as much anymore. But I still have Almunia based nightmares, so I, I need to see that that kind of uh, reaction to those plays just so that you I don't have, sleep. You should have seen Almunia in Paris live, mate. Then you'll never sleep again. You know what I mean? Look, <laughs> I've, I've seen enough. It didn't have to be live to keep me up at night. I mean, and, and we'll by the way, we always have Paris. Paris wasn't nearly his worst performance, let me say that. Um, so, so let's finish on this before we have to say goodbye. There are rumors, and good God, I hope they're just rumors, but 30 million pounds for Ramsey to, to Chelsea. Paul, Obviously, that doesn't sit well with me. I know there are people that are willing to let Ramsey go. I'd like to see him stay. I know Clive would sell him for a nickel if someone would come take him off our hands because he hates him so much. But do you do you put any stock in those rumors, and what would your reaction be to that? Uh, I guess I put stock in the rumors that there's interest, and that might be the starting point. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Um, I don't think Ramsey's a weasel. <laughs> So, uh, I don't think he's going to be shitty about it. They're all weasels, if the money's right. No, they're not. (laughs) I mean, so answer me this. Why the hell would Zidane walk away from 18 million at Real Madrid if it was about the money? You know what I mean? So, anyway. um, That's fair. But, well, I mean, and to be fair, you know, what's weird, Paul, is, I mean, is this the time you'd want to be leaving Arsenal for Chelsea? I mean, I realize they just won a title relatively recently, but it looks like Abramovich has turned the tap off. That's not a great squad they're sitting on. They have some weird fits in the midfield. They they have some, you know, problems of their own iron out. They don't have Champions League. I mean, if you're Aaron Ramsey and Arsenal are putting a good contract in front of you with a new coach and, and some exciting talent around you, is this the time you want to be leaving for Chelsea? I don't think so, and you can't read too much into it, but he's having a bloody brilliant time on the tour. I mean, he just, you know, you, you see the reactions, the smiles at every, and everything. He doesn't seem to have created a degree of separation from what's going on. So he's having fun. I don't, he wouldn't easily walk away from that. And the money will have to get a lot more serious or he'll have to be a lot more frustrated about uh, Arsenal not respecting his value or something f- to get away from that. I wonder if there's the time for it to happen. I got news uh, for you. It would just be so typical if he's about to put pen to paper and then pictures uh, show up in the papers of uh, Sir Chips shooting a rhino or something. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just know Sir Chips has been a, on a rhino hunt at some point in his life. But let's let's hope that doesn't come to the surface. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. So I think the most likely frustration for us is he go is we complete the window and he hasn't signed a new contract but they could still work it out between now and christmas yeah well i mean we saw we saw saw that happen last season but it also cost us to the tune of over three hundred thousand pounds a week and i you know i don't know that you can go that far for Aaron ramsey so clive your final thoughts i mean you're desperate to get rid of ramsey would you sell him for 30 million to chelsea I'm not desperate to get rid of him. Now, I just now, don't. Now, now, if I, I'm going to misrepresent I, you and mischaracterize you, you have to run with this with me. My my thing okay. with you is that you hate Aaron Ramsey and you want him gone. No, I just don't think, I just don't see this. <laughs> Defend yourself. Uh, I just don't see this. I see a really good player that does some really good things some of the time. 
but people are focused on those really spectacular good things and they don't always see the impact to the team. Even at the weekend, when he came on in that game, he found himself ahead of Aubameyang in the late in the game. I'm thinking, oh, come on, man. You're not going to run from the halfway line. Put yourself, in, put yourself in areas where you can do real damage in the interior of the game and stop running to the exterior. But that's just my view. I have a view on him. I think... Um, I. I think there's a market developing. That's all I'm going to say. There's a market developing. That's the first strike. Uh, for some reason, I, I hope he stays, but I hope he stays because he wants to join the culture. I, I don't want him to stay, but then he wants to use it as a bargaining tool, the fact he's got a year left, to elevate himself to be above the culture, to be the man, which then means we have a problem because we have a captain that we have to select at all times. And going back to Paul's point earlier, I want to see a little bit of rotation, even with some of the bigger names. So if he buys into the five captain thing, he buys into the collective, then you know what? I'm a big fan. If he wants to elevate himself, then I'm thinking, no, you're not a pedestal player for me. You're not one of those. And so let's see what happens. If he's going to hold a club to ransom, I'm sorry, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not a, I'm not an Aaron Ramsey fan or anybody fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. I hate seeing a club being held to ransom. And all this reminds me of yesterday's Arsenal. So everything we've spoken about has been really new, fresh. We're all excited. Then this happens. And this drags me back to all of those previous contractual issues. And this was not something that is Emery's fault. He inherited this. And this is like a little bit of a stain on the preseason. So I'm hoping he gets resolved either way so we can move forward. If he stays, great. If he goes, I won't cry neither because I want to see the club move forward and reset. And I've always wanted that. So let's hope he gets sorted out by really other. Yeah, what is it about us having players that are in weird contractual situations and we wind up playing the team they go to early in the season. Remember, Sam Nasri played against Manchester City right before making his move there, admittedly played well. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain played against Liverpool early in the season. Two days later, sold to Liverpool. Who do we play second game of the season this season? Chelsea. Um, so, you know, if you want to read tea leaves and you're superstitious, let's hope, you know, there's nothing there. But I, I think if there's anything we've learned in life, it's that superstition is always, always correct. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you, my son. Yes. Uh, uh, I should have said thank you, Dad. Uh, and then uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. And by the way, um, we're building a new website. It's going to be launched soon. One of the things I had to do was sort of find some feedback for the podcast to put on the website. And... Uh, it really is shocking, apart from the things that are said about me, which are all totally true and warranted. Uh, and despite our numerous requests for you to say nasty things, you've said some some very kind things, and we can't thank you enough for that. So really just uh, feeling very emotional about all this right now. And, and so thanks very much for all your kind feedback. And if you would be so kind as to give us a five-star review, uh, some of those are going to get surfaced on our website. So there you go. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. No, no. Bad, Paul. <laughs> you ruin it. You, oh, you always ruin it. Fuck them all. No. No, oh. we no, listeners. I'm sorry for him, but this is this is how he is. You know, this is how he is. In any event, we were like four seconds away from me hitting stop on the old record thing, and and we're going to end with that little bit in there. In any event, uh, we will come back to you with another podcast after Chelsea. Ironically, there's that club again playing Chelsea midweek uh, preseason. Be interesting to see when Torreira and Shaq again integrated. And as we just roll forward and start to clear up the picture of, of who's in, who's out, and you know, Clive can give us his opinion on the lineup, because as you know about Clive, the only other thing that's true about him besides hating Aaron Ramsey is that he's very fixated on which players are in the starting lineup. So we will get his, uh, we will get his thoughts on that in a future <laughs> podcast. Have Tim back, have Scott back. I don't back. care. No, no, you care deeply. <laughs> in any event, uh, thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you after Chelsea. Cheers. Cheers.